Well, it never fails, my friends. We think the months of July and August are going to be slow news cycles in the world of college sports, but oh, how we are fooled every single time. That's right. Conference Musical Chairs is happening from the West Coast to the East Coast, and it is a doozy of a time. We're going to talk about it all today, right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Monday, everyone. It is August 7th, 2023, and I hope you have found a way to beat the heat wherever you might be. College kids are packing up to head back to campus and the little ones are buying school supplies. That is right. The school year is upon us. Hi, everyone. I am Missy Heydrich, National Women's Basketball Correspondent at The Next. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Now, please head over to the next, www.thenexthoops.com to check out all of the amazing coverage that we have there. You can follow me, as you see there on your screen, at Missy Heydrich, and then be sure to follow this podcast at Locked On WBB. Well, the past few weeks in the world of college athletics have been downright crazy, and I am not talking about any sort of gambling issues in the state of Iowa with football players. We are talking about the moves and the lack of moves and conference realignment in the Power Five universe. Today, we're going to break it all down, what's happened in recent weeks and just recent days for the Pac-12 conference to ultimately probably be no more as we know it today. What are the new look Big Ten and Big 12 conferences going to be in the future? And ultimately, what does it mean for student athletes, especially female student athletes across these campuses and beyond? Not just now, but for years and years to come. Full disclosure, I am a huge college basketball fan. And so we, that is one thing I will say from the get-go. But here to help me break it all down today is longtime women's sports journalist, Michelle Smith. She has worked in and covered the Pac-12 conference for decades on the West Coast. And she's got her ear to the ground on the 101 up and down the coast. Michelle, welcome. Good morning, my friend. I want everyone to know it is currently just about 10.20 a.m. Central Time, 8.20 Pacific Time on Monday the 7th. Something could very well happen in the next four to five minutes. We won't know about it. So for everyone that's out there listening and watching, I want to give you the time frame of where we are today. But it seems as though over the course of the last couple of weeks, what we always know to be true, that college athletics is the front porch of, of a university. It's what people know. It's what people see. But July set off just a groundswell of change and things. And I don't know if the Pac-12, as we know it, will be what it is going forward. It won't. I mean, it's we're here. So, you know, it Friday morning was this roller coaster. So we've been, it, we spent last week, you know, will they or won't they? Who's leaving, who's staying? You know, this 
university's got a board of regents set a hastily called board of regents meeting. Now this one does who, what decisions are being made? Like it literally was changing by the hour. Um, Friday morning when I woke up, uh, it was a 7am meeting with, um, the PAC 12 commissioner and the nine remaining schools. Um, and then by an hour later, it was over. And Oregon and Washington had said, we're leaving for the big 10. And that led to the dominoes of Arizona, Arizona state and Utah joining Colorado in the big 12. And there are four teams right now currently standing in the PAC 12 um, for this 2024 season. Um, and we can talk about the awkward fest that will be the 23, 24 season um, and how that's going to go. But it happened it was telegraphed for a while. And when it happened, it happened incredibly quickly. And so it was, it's a little bit of a whiplash moment, I think. And, you know, I think nobody, I, it's hard to know all of the ripple effects yet. I think we know the impacts. Mm -hmm. I don't think we know the ripple effects. I think we know what it means for schools to leave the conference. I know what it, think we know what it means for the conference, there to be four teams left looking for, you know, conference affiliation and trying to figure out the best way. What we don't understand, I don't think are the ripple effects yet. I don't think we understand how this impacts recruiting. I don't think we understand how it impacts the student athlete experience. We haven't witnessed yet those cross country trips for West Coast and East Coast teams to play conference games mm -hmm. um, in all sorts of sports, but where this is a women's basketball podcast and we can talk about, you know, how much fun it's going to be for everybody to be getting across the country in the winter. Right. Um, and, you know, and the loss of academic time and mm -hmm. the strain on bodies and all of that, like there are ripples that we don't see yet, but we know the impacts, I think. Well, I want to take everybody back because two years ago we sat in the month of July. It was the Olympics. Nobody was paying much attention to college athletics and bam, the SEC took Oklahoma and Texas. A year ago, we sat here in July mm -hmm. and we talked about USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 headed to the Big Ten. That was a ripple effect. I think the first one where people started to say, wait a minute, now you're talking from coast to coast. This changes things. In July, we had football media days for the Pac-12. They were in Las Vegas. The commissioner stands up, kind of makes it seems as though everybody's all on the same page. And just a couple days later, after being in the Pac-12 for 13 years, Colorado's going back to their old home in the Big 12. Then that unstable ground, I think, is where it all came into play. And everybody trying to figure out, well, what looks different? And we've got to go, I think, to the crusp of what some of this truly is which is about meteorite revenue. And it's about what linear television means and that it still means something, especially in this world, <clears throat> excuse me, of college football. And we'll talk more about this ripple and the, tr the trickle down effect for everyone else. But I think the biggest question that I would give to you is for someone being on the West Coast. When the conversation came for the Pac-12 was saying, hey, we've got a deal in place. We're going to be looking and we're going to Apple TV. We're going to talk about streaming and we're going to talk about people buying a membership or a fee to be able to watch Pac-12 sports. Was that when this just all went to hell in a handbasket simply because there wasn't that type of maybe strategic thought into what this has to be when we think about exposure, brand identity, media rights, and revenue. Yeah, there, yes. So from my understanding is that the Apple, the Apple proposal that um, the Pac-12 commissioner gave to the schools 
did not have a linear partner, um, did not have a partner, partnered games on ESPN or Fox or any of the big networks. Um, and it was, it had a payout. So it, in the end, I think it was 25 million a school and it was um, going to have a subscription model attached to it and, mm -hmm. and escalating revenues based on subscriptions. Understanding that the Pac-12 schools are schools that have gone through the experience of the Pac-12 network. Right. Pac-12 network was a, a plan. There was, they did have linear partners, mm -hmm. but that was an owned and operated by the Pac-12 venture that Larry Scott brought to the schools. And it was supposed to be the next great step. But what happens is, you know, the SEC network gets, I believe it's ESPN, right? Mm -hmm. And yes. Big 10 gets Fox as a partner and the Pac-12 is still running its own network absorbing its expenses, absorbing its losses, unable for a long time to get on direct TV. You know, I mean, there were big things that happened that I think made the Pac-12 um, presidents wary of a non-linear deal that was tied to subscription. Right. I think it just made them uneasy that they would get to the numbers that other people were getting through their media deals, numbers that they wanted to reach. And all of a sudden people got squirrely, frankly. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't have, there wasn't complete security in the Apple TV deal. You'll hear from, I think it was, I want to say Arizona State, who, by the way, they, they're gone because Arizona left and they went with them reluctantly. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, you know, Arizona State's president who said, I was excited about Apple TV. I thought that there was some cool stuff that we could do with Apple. Um, one of the biggest technology, most successful technology companies in the world. Apple doesn't often miss right. when it comes to initiatives and things. But I think it was still just too big of a risk based on past experience for a lot of these presidents to take. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, and this has been talked about as well. I think that Fox in particular in the Big Ten is, and I think folks have said over there, running the show. And they wanted, they wanted Oregon and Washington. And they, you know, urged the Big Ten to chase that after the Big Ten said, we're not going to be responsible for breaking up the Pac-12. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that are responsible for breaking up the Pac-12. But in that meeting on Friday morning, they thought they had nine schools together. Right. And within a few minutes of that meeting, Oregon said, we're out. And Washington said, we're out. And that was that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is about TV partners flexing their power. And <clears throat> saying what they want and the conferences being in a position where they need to do what, the, what their TV partners want. And there not being enough security in going out on a ledge with Apple for the Pac-12. And, you know, it could have worked out great. It could have been innovative. It could have been a lot of things that also could have been another underfunded I don't want to say disaster. $25 million isn't a disaster. No. It could have been another thing where they're running behind the other big conferences and they didn't want to take the chance. Well, when you talk about dollars and cents, we know that it is about revenue. And I think one of the things to point out, is you said, about $25 million a school was the proposal from Apple Television. Oregon and Washington, who will only go into the Big Ten with a partial share for a couple of years, will actually make more money on a partial share than they would have on a full share with that Apple deal. And I right. think that gives some maybe perspective as to what people are looking for and that there were people out there willing to pay. They came to the table and saw it 
and these conferences went on the offensive and the Big Ten and the Big 12 are going to look very, very different in a couple of years from now. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. What the Big Ten and Big 12 will look like, two leagues and two commissioners, I think, who have been on the offensive over the course of the last couple of weeks. But first, a message from our friends at FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off. We've been talking about college football, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win it all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, and I live in the Kansas City area, so why would you not bet on the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes? You can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbooks. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heidrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. For our everydayers out there tomorrow on the show, more women's basketball and fantastic WNBA coverage with our fearless leader, Howard Megdahl. I am back here with Michelle Smith. And Michelle, we are talking about all the craziness that it has been over the last couple of weeks in conference realignment. And as we said at the top of the show, as you head into the 24-25 season, uh, the Pac-12 just now, four teams, they're trying to figure out what their future holds. But some who have left have found a very healthy place to land. We've mentioned UCLA and USC. They made that move they a year ago. They were already headed in 24. Now it's Oregon and Washington that are headed. Uh, a new commissioner at the Big Ten. They went on the offensive. And also, one year after being selected as the commissioner and starting his role at the Big 12, Brett Yormark says, you know what? I'll take Colorado back in July. and then. There was a home. There was a place for Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to land. It might be kind of like commissioner sweepstakes, but I feel if you are a Big 12 or a Big 10 person, you got to feel pretty darn good about the land and the ground that you're standing on right now. You do. And if you're a women's basketball person, you have to go, oh, there's some pretty good teams coming our way. <laughs> so if you're, you know, if you're a program in the Big 10 that's been hanging around in the middle or the bottom half of the standings, You've got some pretty good teams coming your way who may make it harder for you to uh, punch up, let's yes. just say, right? So, <laughs> I mean, you know, like in the, you know, to have the four teams that are added to the Big Ten, you know, USC and UCLA were already coming. UCLA is loaded. USC, Lindsay Gottlieb is, you know, is building a really, really, really good program. Oregon has been good for a long time. Washington is also building up, but you've got the, the Pac-12 has been such a good conference. Um, yes. Last year's lousy postseason aside, um, and we'll put that one aside, but it's been a super competitive conference for the last few years. And you're taking on both in both conferences, you're taking some of those conferences' best teams and you're bringing them into the Big Ten and the Big 12, which is going to make it more competitive. I think it's going to be an absolutely bruising fight in the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. And I think that Arizona and Colorado and Utah are going to raise the level in the Big 12 to perhaps where it's been. I mean, that conference has missed, you know, has missed sort of the Baylor power over the last couple of years and Oklahoma's place and Oklahoma State's. But like there were, you know, 
it's going to push a lot of teams in the Big 12. And so I think it's good competitively for both conferences from a women's basketball perspective. No, I would say absolutely. And I think in the Big 12, especially when you take Texas and Oklahoma leaving to head to the SEC a year ago, they added four teams this year. It's kind of odd. They're sitting with, you know, an, a, a big number this season, multiple games, everybody kind of running all over the place. But then you're going to add these teams in 24-25. And I do think it does raise the level. And it if I'm the Big 12, you're thinking, well, that maybe isn't much of a, as much of a sting now that Texas and Oklahoma are exiting. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I can bring an Arizona who has been to a Final Four. Mm -hmm. You know that Utah won the Pac-12 last year in the regular season and was strong in the postseason. These are all programs that now all of a sudden take that strength of schedule and maybe even just the, the visibility of your league up a mm -hmm. notch. Yeah. But it does make it harder for somebody to say – if I'm coming in and trying to rebuild, it might be a TCU or something mm -hmm. like that. Life just got a little bit more difficult. No question. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, and Colorado was a sweet 16 team last year. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it's going to raise, it'll raise the, you know, it's going to raise the competitive, competitive level in both of these conferences and the four teams that are left on the West coast. What does this do for Stanford or what does this do right. to Stanford? Yes. Um, Cal is a program that has really been struggling for a variety of reasons. Um, they really got hit hard in the COVID in the COVID seasons. They lost games. They were rescheduling games. They have had tough injuries. Cal's really had a hard time and this is not a good spot for them to be in at all. Mm -hmm. um, Oregon State is a good program. Yes. Washington State is a good program. Like these are good, good programs and Stanford, who's been the standard bearer of the West coast for 30 something years. And yeah, you know, so these ones that are left over are the ones I think that are in most of my, everybody else looks like they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm worried about the four that are left. I'm worried about what this means, where they land, what conference they end up in for Stanford. You know, I'm not speculating on Tara Vanderveer's retirement, but I'm putting pieces together. She just turned 70. She's the sports winningest coach. I mean, the game's winningest coach. And she needs 16 wins to pass Mike Krzyzewski to be the sports all-time winningest coach. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, does she want to have, does she want to do this new thing? Does she want to, she's been such a Pac-12 advocate for her entire career. Does she want to go out with the Pac-12? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just posing questions because mm -hmm. I think, again, ripples, right? These are yes. ripples. Um, you know, Oregon State, you know, with Scott Ruick and what he's built there and Cami Etheridge really building up Washington State. Like this is to have these programs really have no home in the moment. They will mm -hmm. but to have no home in the moment. It's really, really it's tough. It's it's, it's the thing that's been hurting my heart, honestly, for most of the past few days. Well, and I think that's been the hardest part about conference realignment whenever it has happened, when it happened 10, 12 years ago and, you know, beyond. And when it's happened over the course of the last three years, we've seen the domino effect. It isn't just with the power fives. There's always been that trickle. Mm -hmm. Once the power fives make their move, then we see it with in your mid-majors, in the WAC, in the Ohio yeah. Valley, in the SoCon. It doesn't pick one. Everybody's right. seen it change. Everybody's moving. That's how this world has worked. But there is the trickle-down effect of what is it going to mean for some of the longtime stalwarts within women's basketball. And I guess my question to you, and when we think about those four teams, there's been a lot of chatter, a lot of conversation about San Diego State, and possibly could these four teams be looking at making a mesh with the Mountain West? 
but there's a lot at stake financially for Mountain West teams to leave. So do those four become enveloped? What is going to be the best place for a Stanford, a Cal, an Oregon State, and a Washington State? I mean, I think we're thinking, I think we're looking in terms of the Mountain West conversation, I think we're looking more along the lines of merger rather than pulling those four teams, pulling teams from the Mountain West, because they have, I believe it's a $34 million exit yes. fee. And yes. nobody's got spare pennies right now. Nobody's oh, no. got extra money. So, <laughs> you know, Pac-12 is trying to figure out what it has, you know, Pac-12 as it exists is trying to figure out what it's got financially and no media deal and four teams, right? So we're not spending $34 million a team to go get a number of teams to make an eight team conference or something along that line. Mm -hmm. um, so I see probably a merger. I keep hearing rumblings and I don't know where they go about, you know, Stanford trying to get into the big 10 and um, whether the big 10 would take Stanford um, and understanding that Stanford in particular, it's athletic program is built on the foundations of that program are on Olympic sports. Yes. Um, Stanford football has had its moments. Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who used to be a Stanford football beat writer, I was there for the first couple of years of Harbaugh and some very lean years before that. Stanford football isn't the crowning jewel in the Stanford athletic program. No. It is a, it, it's this breadth of program, the number of athletes, the number of women who come out of the Pac-12 who have been incredibly successful. And so, you know, that's, so it puts Stanford in a bit of a different position. They are nationally an athletic powerhouse, but not a football powerhouse. And apparently this is a football conversation that we're having. You are absolutely right. Right. Um, so, you know, like how does that, you know, people have talked about Stanford going independent. I don't see that happening. Stanford's no. not Notre Dame from a football perspective. Right. There is not a market for Stanford football as an independent. No. And I don't even know how that would work. So, no. you know, it's, you know, we're talking a lot about Stanford because they're the ones in this, they're to me in a very unique position in the national sporting landscape. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes. No, you're absolutely right. And I give everybody a little bit of a tidbit. The In 1978 is when Arizona and Arizona State joined the Pac-12. They left the WAC in 78 and now make their move to the Big 12. If that gives you a perspective of the length, the length and the breadth of what the Pac-12 has been, I believe a 108-year-old conference, that is changing and it's going to look very, very different. In a moment, what this all means short and long term for women's sports in this Power 5 arena in college athletics now and in the future. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heydrich. Welcome back to Locked On Women's Basketball. Thank you for joining us today. It is Monday, August 7th, 2023. We know that the landscape in college athletics could absolutely be changing right now because I haven't checked my Twitter feed, but Michelle Smith and I are here to talk and break it all down. Now, we've walked through how we got here, what the Pac-12 has done, what the Big Ten, what the Pac, the Big 12 are going to look like 24-25. But as you said earlier, and we know we sit here and live and breathe the world of women's basketball, but also the world of, I think, non-revenue women's sports. And we have to put some of this into perspective of what this is going to look like. I want to give a shout out to people if you haven't seen it. I know Michelle, um, she reposted it on her account as well. 
the head coach at the University of Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz, not mm-hmm. necessarily a fan favorite of people here in my neck of the woods, I can tell you that, but <laughs> I will give credit to Coach Drinkwitz and what he said when he got up with his post-practice press conference over the weekend as an SEC Power 5 head football coach gave about a two to three minute statement talking about when asked about mm-hmm. what realignment and what this all looks like. And I thought one of the things he said at the very beginning was absolutely spot on. He said, quote, football will be fine, end quote. But it was everybody else. And he started talking about things like softball players and baseball players and track and field. And the fact that they don't play just once a weekend, Mm -hmm. one time on Saturday, that they play multiple games and double headers and that that travel looks very different. And so I think we have to drill down a little bit about what this student athlete fallout really is. You've said it multiple times. It's a ripple effect. But when you start to break it all down, Michelle, we have to start thinking about that student athlete experience. And then one of the things everybody wants to talk about nowadays, that student athlete welfare, which is incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, I I worry I worry, I, I would be worry wart mom, Jean. Yeah. Um, but I worry, I worry about, you know, what, you know, tired, overstressed athletes, what it means for them academically. The vast majority of these athletes are not, as the commercial says, not going on to play professional sports. Yes. They are there to, you know, they're there for the athletic experience to get their degree. Mm-hmm. How much harder does this make that? Do you make different choices in your major when you, because you think that, you know, I might be able to get by easier with this one than say this, you know, one major than the other major. Are you, um, are we going to look at injuries that are based on fatigue Mm -hmm. because people are tired? Fatigued athletes are more easily injured. Are, you know, we've talked about, somebody brought it up and I hadn't even thought about it, but talked about diet and how you feed these athletes and is eating lousy airport food because you're constantly in the airport for the entirety of your season. You know, how does that impact, you know, good nutrition, all of those things that come with de-regionalizing these conferences Mm -hmm. and putting the onus of cross-country travel on teams that do play more than once a week and more than 12 weeks a year, right? I mean, the women's basketball season starts effectively in October. Games don't start yet but runs till April. It is a six month season. You're asking these athletes for half a year to stretch themselves physically in ways we've never asked them to do that before. Um, I would love, I don't know how this works, smarter people than me. And I've seen it a lot. Like if we're going to land mega conferences for football anyway, spin them off Mm -hmm. and let's have football mega conferences be, you know, be mini NFL, however you're going to do it. And let's let the rest of the school settle into a conference structure that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if this is where we're going to land, I haven't seen the pro-con arguments for that, except that it sounds good to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I haven't, done the, I haven't done the deep dive, but spin off football, make it its own thing. But pulling the rest of an athletic department along with these football-based decisions when nothing looks like football in the entire athletic department, they're, you know, from you know, a resources standpoint from it, it's just it's apples and everybody else is the orange and you're dragging everybody else along. Like, I'm not OK with it. I It feels 
not, it feels wrong. And it feels like women, female athletes are going to get the short end of this and male athletes too, baseball players. But let's just talk about, you know, but women's sports is making such progress and such growth. Yes. It's also this little part of me that's wondering if we hadn't undervalued the women's basketball tournament for such a long time, if we had broken them off a while ago, how much more money would be in the pot for schools to be more confident about some of the financial decisions that they can make? If we had been valuing the, the NCAA women's basketball tournament where it was supposed to be all along, I'm not saying it would have put a stop to this, but how much more money would be in the kitty for people to make decisions that weren't solely based on what's happening with one sport? Just asking the question. <laughs> I think it's incredibly valid. And I think cost is one of those things that comes to the top of the list because we have to start talking about travel. And then you have to start factoring in things, especially in women's basketball, but in any non-revenue sport, we have to think about recruiting. We have to think about your non-conference versus your conference scheduling now. Are you going to travel all over the place when you know you've got to get on an airplane in Oregon and you've got to go to Rutgers to play mm-hmm. in the middle of the week? Probably not. Now, all of a sudden, we're not going on big trips. We're staying home. Does that change my recruiting philosophy? How is the portal going to be implicated in all Mm -hmm. of this? I think one of the things that I thought was very valid and a lot of female student athletes and probably some male student athletes, but I saw more in softball, uh, Mm -hmm. soccer, et cetera, going out on social media platforms and saying, hey, The reason I came to this school was so that I was close to home, so that my mom and dad could see me play, so that they could get to where I'm going to be. If you're at Arizona State and you're a softball player, now I've got one one series a year that is in the state of Arizona. That's when I play the University of Arizona. Same for women's basketball. They're going to play a home and home and that's it. So right. now all of a sudden your recruiting philosophy changed. If I'm a coach sitting there thinking, well, geez, now I got to not only re-recruit all the kids on my roster, I got to figure out how to put one together that's going to fit in this new fangled right. world that I'm in. It's not easy and it's not going to get any easier, I don't think. I want these women to keep speaking up. I want, yeah. I, I mean, and that, you know, the other thing that I saw, which I thought was really interesting is that I picked a Pac-12 school because I wanted to play in warm weather. I don't want to play softball in the Midwest in February, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you know, like people make decisions mm-hmm. based on the, cir- you know, the, the, on a variety of circumstances. Kids make collegiate decisions based on a variety of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then when those circumstances change and they had no say and no control and it's changed for them, Right. Like, you know, you've decided this and it's this, it can be the same with a coaching change and things. But I think these location changes are, you know, they're more fundamental. And I just I hope that people who are, you know, the athletes who, you know, non-revenue, whatever we want to call them, you know, that they keep speaking up because I think somebody's going to listen. I mean, I think we've talked about antitrust. I think we've talked a little bit about Congress at this point and how much is probably it's looking at, you know, the whole NIL thing and whether it should be looking at realignment as well and good of the game. And again, for me, a lot of this gets solved if you spin football off. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't understand the mechanics of it. I just think, you know, it solves a lot of problems. Well, maybe that commissioner sweepstakes and those people that are sitting at that top of the heap can have that conversation and figure that out. (laughs) I ask you one more question because I thought this was an interesting statement that I heard um, uh, on the radio the other day, uh, listening to Sirius XM College Sports Radio. It was another journalist. As as these things were starting to matriculate on Thursday, Friday, we weren't sure where we were. 
And he said in business, which college athletics absolutely is in business, things are not that are not profitable tend to go away. And it gave me a minute to pause because I kept thinking, well, yeah, if we start thinking about college athletic programs, there are a lot of things associated with them that are not profitable. We have seen changes at the federal level, Supreme Court. People want to talk about affirmative action. We want to talk about equal pay, all of those things. But when it is not profitable, things tend to change. Things tend to go away. Is that what's headed? Is that where we're headed down this line? Is someone going to come forward in five or six years and say all of a sudden, well, this championship level swimming and dive program at these institutions is no longer just simply because it's not profitable. God, I hope not. Um, I, I don't know. I think about the implications of that. And I think about, you know, I think about feeder programs for our national on our Olympic teams and yeah. how much, you know, and how much ripples, mm-hmm. right? Ripples, how much, you know, women's soccer programs. And, you know, you think about what just happened in the World Cup with the U.S. national team. And you think about how many of these programs are feeder programs for national teams and swimming and diving and how much you know, NCA swimming and diving ends up being a training ground and a, and a feeder program for the U S Olympic team. And, you know, I mean, many track and field, I mean, many, many of these sports are feeder programs for our national team programs. So in that way, I think I worry a little bit less about that, but Mm -hmm. I would say this, I would worry about lacrosse. Mm -hmm. I would worry about, I don't know, you know, field hockey. Mm -hmm. I would worry about, you know, wrestling, I think mm-hmm. even, you know, and we've always worried about West wrestling based on title nine, but where's title nine in all of this too, by the way, right. mm-hmm. um, you know, a title nine, you know, schools, football has always been the wrench in title nine conversation. Mm-hmm. Not This doesn't make it less. So <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, it does doesn't not. Make it, doesn't make it less. So no, um, <laughs> So, you know, I I don't know. I mean, again, I think there's just ripples we don't see yet, things that we're going to see and go, oh, I didn't think about that unintended consequence. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of those coming. Um, this is, you know, this is not an insignificant real, like some of these moves, everything feels big. And when you're in the locality of the place that's impacted, mm-hmm. you know, it really does feel big. But this wholesale east to west disruption in the college sports landscape and ecosystem and things this is this is big and it's you know the face of college sports changed on friday and it's not just the loss of a legacy conference um it's you know it's what it means for everybody and i agree with coach you said football will be fine Mm -hmm. you're everybody else that's gonna have to figure it out You are absolutely correct. And I couldn't agree with you more. I leave everybody with one more tidbit. This came up a year ago when you and I were talking and I I wrote a piece for the next about USC and UCLA's move. So I want everybody to keep in mind that if you have a kid that plays in now a West Coast program that is having to travel all the way to the East Coast and you say, you know what, get to watch my kid on TV. Well, when that game tips at 7 p.m. Eastern, it's four o'clock on the West Coast. Most people are still at work. And if you're in the West Coast, you may have a heck of a commute. So it isn't necessarily as easy just because you think you're going to be able to watch your kid on TV to be able to do it. And that's going to impact some of these decisions down the road now and in the future, I think, across the board for everybody. 
Michelle Smith, I couldn't have picked a better person to have this conversation with today. And I am so happy that you were available on a Monday morning. Where does everybody find you so they can get all of your words of wisdom? They're going to find me on the next um, and on Twitter. And I'm not sure those are words of wisdom at this point. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I feel like we asked a lot more questions than we have answers to today, Missy. Like, it's just, you know, so many things we don't know. I love to come here and, you know, have a conversation where we say this is going to happen and this is going to happen and, you know, use our experience and our expertise in covering the game and the conferences for a long time. But we are in new territory. Yes, we are. And I would tell everybody, like I said, it might be almost 11 a.m. right now, Central Time, but it could change and everything could have happened while we were right here doing this podcast. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you to all of you out there for listening and for watching today. You can find me at Missy Heidrich on Twitter and all of my amazing colleagues by following us at Lockdown Women's Basketball for this podcast, and then get yourselves over to the next, www.thenexthoops.com for all of the amazing coverage. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. For everydayers out there tomorrow on the show, more women's basketball and WNBA coverage with Howard Megdahl as he visits with Jasmine Thomas. And we will see you right here next time on Lockdown Women's Basketball.